It's been two years, and it may be two more years for the next. Let's say it first up and out loud this morning together. Ready? The Power of the Big Book Convention 2019, your weekend of inspiration, education, motivation, and fellowship. November 15th through the 17th at the Marriott Hotel at the Liberty International Airport, New Jersey. It has been so much fun to watch the registration totalizator be so alive. It's moving and shaking. Why, 47 new fellows alone have registered for convention in the past few days. 47 new fellows took the leap of faith. And they said, no, not I. I'm not going to miss out on convention, find myself Monday morning, November 19th, and not have taken the invitation extended to attend what might be the most single powerful turning up of recovery. 47 took the step into the middle of the fellowship and said, no, not I. I am here in the middle of you all. I will not wonder what it might have been. Nope, not I. I will not, no, I will not, not be there. They claim their place among the best love and hope that turns lives on their axis and said, uh-uh, not I. I will be on that rocket headed for the fourth dimension come Friday, November 15th, 2019. I laid my money down in faith and trust. That's what they said, and that's what they did, and that's where they found their feet planted. Well, there's some more news, fellas. Let's stop the presses. A bit of wrangling took place this past few days, and among those 47 registered, news sprang out with hallelujah bells. Registration has been extended. Registration has been extended. How could this be? Because we want you there. You are family. We took to task finding a way for this to be possible. The deadline is now set for Thursday, October 31st, 2019, this Thursday. And it's not a trick. It's our treat. All bets are off and all stops have been lifted. It's open for you to register. So take advantage of this wholesale miracle. And it's easy breezy. Go to the website at www.avisionforyou.info www.avisionforyou.info. Now here's some stats for you. Convention's coming, 19 days, 19 days, five days until deadline. Rooms are still available at the Renaissance for 155 bucks per night. Take a few friends and share that cost. People are still needing roommates that have rooms at the Marriott. Call them. And I happen to know of one that hasn't even been taken up at all. It's empty. has no name on it. And it's two double-doubles. And that's 174 bucks a night at the Marriott. There's a bulletin board. People looking for rides. Have rides. Have rooms. Go check it out. Find it. Make it most lucrative for you to be there. Well, all silliness aside, come. Come see and experience power and what that power has been holding for you. We happen to know it's abundance. We hope to see you there. Now, let's see what else Higher Power has to say for us and give to us this morning. Back to the Sunday Special Edition. 
Thank you so much, Melanie. Looking forward to seeing you and everyone at the Power of the Big Book Convention. Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and your moderator for this morning. Today is Sunday, October 27, 2019. The share ID numbers for Friday, October 25th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 13,572. That's 13572. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 13,575. That's 13575. This morning, A Vision for You presents two little words that make all the difference. Let go. The Big Book teaches that to get over drinking, or for us, compulsive overeating, it will require a transformation of thought and attitude. We embark on a program of action, the 12 Steps, That will restore us to sanity. That restoration, however, depends on our willingness to take action of the steps, to look at ourselves realistically, and to endure the discomfort associated with facing what we have become. Almost everyone comes into recovery having trouble separating fact from fiction in our own lives. Our distorted ideas, emotions, and attitudes are so embroidered into the fabric of whom we think we are. Steps are a specific proven method for producing a transformation, a change, a letting go of the way we think, feel, and behave. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes which were once the guiding forces of our lives are cast to one side, a process in which we let go and a completely new set of conceptions, perspectives, ideas, and attitudes begin to dominate us. This is the essence of the program of action. The results are disproportionate to our efforts. We are moved to a new state of consciousness and being, a spiritual awakening sufficient to bring about recovery. Joining us to speak on this very topic of letting go is Larry Kay, a recovered compulsive overeater from Chicago. Larry is a loyal servant of Overeaters Anonymous and a vision for you, eagerly sharing his experience, teaching the 12 steps, and carrying the message of recovery. It's with great pleasure and appreciation I welcome Larry to the line this morning. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, Leah. You can hear me all right? I hear you well. Okay, great. Thanks so much. I'm, I'm really delighted to to talk about um, something this morning. You did a great job leading us in here. You know, it's really something that I I didn't uh, understand, and uh, I almost died of uh, compulsive overeating because I I didn't know what people meant when they said let go, when they said, you know, surrender. I was at a loss, you know, as to how uh, one went about doing this. I certainly wanted to know. And in about 1999, my life was in utter shambles, and I came out of a, a major binge. Um, I had panic attacks, uh, broken relationships, few friendships. I knew a lot of people, but there were few friendships. I had a lot of secrets. And I had a body that was getting bigger and bigger and bigger by the day. I couldn't stop eating. I really had unsustainable employment. Um, I had, you know, credentials and different things to 
keep a roof over my head, but I, I knew in my heart of hearts it wouldn't be sustainable employment. And frankly, I felt like a complete fraud, oozing with, with shame. And there was a lot of self-loathing, and I, I tried to bury that, that self-hatred and that self-loathing with food that could keep me numbed out. And I, I didn't know what, what it would feel like to not be numbed out because I was continually numbed out. You know, perhaps you can relate to that. And my heart was beating, certainly. I, I was breathing, but I, I certainly wasn't living. And, and when someone is jailed, you know, it's customary to allow them to make, you know, one phone call. We've all heard that, right? Now, I wasn't behind bars. I was only imprisoned uh, by myself. But if I was allowed to make one call, and I, and I say this with complete sincerity, there wasn't anyone to call because I had burned all those relationships. Um, I just, I tore relationships apart. I, kids call it nowadays uh, ghosting. <laughs> you ever heard that term? <laughs> might be new. It was new to me. It's still kind of new to me. It's not part of my vocabulary, but it's ghosting. I just kind of, I went away. You know, uh, I just wasn't available. I wasn't emotionally available. I certainly wasn't available. And uh, so there was no one to call. And I'm not even sure that, you know, how that happened to a person like me. Oh, how I, I envisioned better things. I had, I had, you know, great ambition in earlier days. You know, I'm trained as a clinical psychologist and I, I'm a father. I was a professor for a time, a fraud in many ways. That's how I felt. See, Bill must have known about guys like, like me. Who, who, who couldn't let go some 80 years earlier when he wrote about his own experience. On page eight, he said, no words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity, quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. He knew about me. See, I was the guy with all the potential. I had a family that once loved me, a daughter who who we, we used to put on we used to put on these make make believe variety shows i swear we did we with you know it was the bethy the bethy and daddy hour that's what i called it and i and i used to take questions from the audience the audience audience was all the stuffed animals <laughs> around the room and i we would go through the show and it was magical and oh how i wanted to be to show up like that in those moments to show to be that person with consistency that could have fun and be nurturing, but I, I just couldn't. But compulsive overeating will snuff out any magic. It will rob us of our dignity. It will beat us down. And, I, and like Bill was talking, I, I was totally alone. And, and eventually I, I found my way to OA. But here's the thing. I did not come to OA for recovery. I merely came for relief. And you were, you were nice to me. And I, but I, I wasn't quite sure, you know, that you had the answers. In fact, over time, I was quite sure you didn't have the answer. And frankly, I had sound evidence that you didn't have the answer. See, I, I tried with all the willingness, with all my might that I could muster to put the food down and to stay sober. And I, I didn't feel anything close to the way you looked, to what I saw in your eyes. There was, there was something else wrong with me. 
And despite all my synthetic knowledge, because I had lots of it, I, I didn't know what it was. And and after dozens of attempts to stay abstinent, you know, I, I really, you know, came to the conclusion that that I that I know it, it looks like I have a food problem, but it really isn't. Because when I get abstinent, my life gets worse. My life gets worse. When I when I put down the food, I don't feel better. It's it's a horror, it's a train wreck. I'm irritable, I'm restless, discontent, you knew me, I'm all those things. And I, I kept going to OA meetings and I'd, I'd watch you get sober and abstinent and, and, and you'd become wonderful. And, and many of you said, you said something that I, I thought you were lying. You said you were grateful for, it seemed like you were grateful for everything, for God's sakes. I mean, I don't even like anything really. You know, what's all this gratitude about? I, I, I just didn't understand it. In fact, some of you made me sick. I, I'm sure I made you sick, but you made me sick. Now, I was pleasant enough to you. I had the social graces, but but that's how I felt. So I, I had essentially given up on Overeaters Anonymous. I mean, you're nice people. You're wonderfully nurturing people. But you don't have anything for me, really. And meanwhile, my life is a, is a train wreck. So I remember meeting a guy. Uh, one of my OA meetings, and I, I went to many meetings, usually miles away, you know, from my home, because after all, I'm a psychologist. I don't want, you know, anyone to to know that I have any problems, right? And so I would go, <laughs> go miles away, you know, 30, 40, 50 miles away to some, meet, you know, meeting in the Chicago area. And this man, he, he was one of those guys whose life was going well, and he, he had the family and the wife and the, you know, good business and health. I could see the physical health and abstinence, and, and he was just grateful for everything. It just made me sick, made me want to throw up. I don't, I don't understand this guy. He's, he's happy and sober, both simultaneously at the same time. I mean, man, that really pissed me off. I, I didn't understand it. Because when I got abstinent, it felt like I was locked up in a, like a prison. Like it, it was like I was locked up in a, at a Chuck E. Cheese with no Advil, no, you know what I mean, and no no way out, right? Uh, that that's what I felt like. I was in prison, and I put up with the abstinence until I couldn't, you know, pick it up for one more second. And so back to this uh, sponsor here. One day when I was was really in need of a, a Big Mac, this guy hands me a big book, and. You know, and, and I mean, he, he didn't know what I needed. See, you know, the, the, these people in OA are real hypocrites. They say they want to help you until you explain what you need. Then they want to hand you a big book. And, and, and in his case, an offer to take me through the 12 steps. And he said something that really, really got me, uh, really made me angry. He said, I hadn't let go yet. I hadn't surrendered. I mean, let go of what? There was nothing left to let go of. I mean, there was no life anymore. No motorcycle. I couldn't ride it too fat. Couldn't ride it safely. No money, no dignity, no self-respect. It, it was all gone. Nothing to surrender as far as I could see. There was nothing else to lose here. I had no idea what he was talking about. Because really, he was talking about the one thing that I had to give up and I, I didn't understand. After all, there's, there's only one thing that any addict 
really ever has to give up. There's only one thing that stands in the way of my freedom. You know, there's only one thing that any compulsive reader must relinquish if he wants the abundance of blessings that, that God would make available. And that is my judgment. I had to give up my judgment. See, you could always tell the compulsive overeater, but you can't tell them, tell them much. And you couldn't tell me much. You know, I could remain sober for, for 20 hours, 20 days, 20 weeks, 20 years, and, and maybe even begin to reconstruct my life. And then, then I pick up a, a, a cookie, do that strange mental twist, you know, of the untreated mind. And then I, then I just burn my life into the ground and, and I get back to the rooms of OA and the very first things, you know, that I bring with me when I get back there are my opinion and my judgment. And it's my opinion and my judgment that separates me from you. I've heard that said. It's my opinion and my judgment that separates me from you. And frankly, it's my opinion and my judgment that separates me ultimately from, from God. And I don't identify with you because I cannot refrain from picking you apart and judging you, and I will silently destroy you between my ears. And, so, and since I feel, you know, so bad about myself, if I can't, if I can pick you apart and tear you down with judgment, maybe, just maybe, I can level the playing field. You know, may, maybe I won't feel so, so horrible about myself if I can just pull you down. Perhaps, you know, my self-hatred can be assuaged a little bit by pulling you down, just a little bit. And all the while, I will defend my psyche with all sorts of mechanisms, justification, rationalization. I'll do all those things because I, I can't bear to think that I'm, that, I'm, that I'm heading in the wrong direction. I'm not thinking properly. So I will justify and rationalize and justify and rationalize. And I will seek allies I will seek allies to commiserate with me to confirm that my hatred of you is on solid ground, and they will confirm that for me. I mean, I'm, I, I ain't looking for fellows who won't commiserate with me. If you won't, <laughs> I'll ghost you, right? I only talk to the people that will say, yes, sir, you know. Yeah, oh, yeah, Larry, I get it. I held on to those things. And the big book reminds me that there are two specific things that – that, I'm, that I need to do in forging a connection with my higher power. There's two specific things I need to do where I can, I can move from self-suffering, you know, and, and, and towards and, and self-sufficiency to God-sufficiency. I need to move from self-sufficiency in my suffering to God-sufficiency. And at, at the top of page 63, it says, when we sincerely took such a position, the position of, of not playing God, right? All sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer, being all powerful. He provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. There's the two things. If I kept close to him and performed his work well. And every day is a day, and it's an opportunity where I will turn my consciousness towards God. Now, truth be told, I, I, there's some days that I don't feel a deep connection to God. You know, I pray, but there's, there's just, there's no real connection. And other days I, I pray and I, I feel a profound connection to, you know, to God. And it, it doesn't make a difference. The, the things that are important is, you know, to me today is that I, I make the effort. 
continually focusing myself imperfectly as only a human being can in that direction. You know, I don't contemplate the idea of brushing my teeth in the morning by my feelings. You know, I don't, I don't, today I, I don't withhold my love from others based on my perceived feelings and judgment in that moment. And whether I feel it or not, I turn towards God. And the reality of the spirit is that the spirit has, has movement. It, it has fluctuations, just like the, the seasons of the year. From my perceptive lens, I'm not suggesting that God is moving, you know, but, but, but the spirit of, of the reality of the spirit as I see it is like the seasons of the year. Because sometimes, you know, I'll be taking the actions this program suggests, and yet it feels like wintertime, you know. It, it, there, there's emotional sleet and snow and gray clouds and bitter wind here in Chicago, and, and that's all I can feel, and it's gray, and, and my conscious contact is, is, is devoid of sunshine and warmth, and, you know, um, and I, but I'm, I'm taking the action. I'm practicing. I, I practice this stuff. I practice these principles. But I don't always feel particularly connected in that in that moment in that moment, you know. And and there's other times that I feel so connected, I'm bursting at the seams with the divine spirit, right? It just just seems to be just organically come out of me, and I feel plugged in. But here's the deal for for me: whether I feel plugged in or not, I still do the two things every day. I I try to stay close to God by the big book tells me by continually taking the action of turning my consciousness towards Him. It's sleet and snow, and I turn my consciousness towards him. It's, it's sunny and beautiful and warm, and I, tur- I turn my consciousness towards him. Someone died and I, that I love, and I turn my consciousness towards him. And someone just graduated from college, you know, and they're on their way, and I, it's so beautiful, and I, I, I still turn my consciousness towards him. Regardless of my, if you took my emotional temperature, it's going to change. Hour by hour, it changes. When I, I got to tell you, when I'm in the throes of a panic attack, I, I didn't choose to have panic disorder. I don't remember the day that I chose that. I wouldn't wish, you know, wish that on my worst enemy, right? But when I, when I have that, I don't feel real connected to God. You'd think I would, you know, I'd be down, I, I would be, you know, if anyone's had that sort of thing. I mean, I mean, think of whatever is the worst struggle, the worst bit of anguish, anxiety, fear that you've ever been in. Think, think. Conjure up that moment for a second. When we're in the midst of that crisis, for many of us, it's not easy to reach out for God. I remember reading, uh, there was a cardinal in Chicago, I think it was Cardinal Bernadine, and he wrote a little book when he he was diagnosed with um, stage four cancer. I think it was pancreatic, I can't remember any. And he wrote a little book. I don't even know the title of it, but um, I was just interested because he was dying. He's trying to die with dignity. He didn't feel connected to God. He, he spoke a truth. It wasn't that he gave up on God. He, st- he was still turning his consciousness to God. He was writing about God, but he didn't feel it. He was suffering and he was in grief and anguish. He didn't want to leave this world and the people that he loved. And he was in pain, physical pain cancerous physical pain and emotional pain and the unpredictable. He didn't know what was going to be. He had his beliefs, but he didn't really know what was going to be. All he knew is he was suffering in physical pain and emotional anguish. And he didn't feel like connected to God. And he mentioned it here. 
in a little book where he was talking about God. And the reason I mention that, not our program literature, but you know, I mention that because to bring it back to where we are, when we're in crisis, it's hard sometimes to to, to turn our consciousness to God. And I, but the par is there so many? Isn't there so many paradoxes in this program? Let go and let God. Well, when I'm in panic attacks, I'm not thinking about God. And what I will tell you as part of transcendence and acceptance is the God of my understanding knows that. The God of my understanding, this merciful, graceful, loving God, knows that in that moment, I cannot have the ability to think about God. That is the God of my understanding. He's not a zapping God. How dare you, Larry, not think about me when you're in this anguish and anxiety that's at the level of 10. That is not the God of my understanding. So sometimes for me, letting go is just about accepting of what is. Can I accept what is? Can I attempt to perform his work well? You know, it doesn't take a brain surgeon a rocket scientist to figure out that this comes down, this whole practical program of spiritual action really comes down to service and self-sacrifice for others. But the God of my understanding knows that I cannot be of service. I cannot self-sacrifice for others when I'm in the midst of a horrible crisis. I just have to accept and allow myself to transcend through that and just be. And that's part of me letting go as well, is to give myself permission. Can I give myself permission to just be, to just accept, to maybe not understand the purpose, to maybe accept that life is not fair? Now, it's fair if you have panic attacks, but not me. Now, I feel for you. I have great, but it's unfair. Why me? Why not you, Larry? Why do I have this disease? Where's the fairness in that? How do I let go? Why do I have this, this disease? I don't know. Now, today I can tell you through transcendence that I was given, I believe this. So hear, hear me out on my delusion. Ready for my delusion? The purpose of this disease and all the suffering that went with it and the spiritual malady wrapped around it and this tapestry of spiritual malady and the disease and the suffering and the eating and all the pain and the loneliness and the despair. The purpose of it all. What is the purpose? Here I am. Thank you, God. Leah, thank you for God's handiwork. Here I am to show up to be of service. I'm not here for po- popularity. You may think so. You'd be wrong. Only God knows what's in my heart, right? I'm here to be of service. And, and oh, do I get, oh, do I get it back tenfold, right? I get it back. I get to stay on this beam of recovery. So the letting go is an interesting paradox here, right? Because we're asked to take action. How do we take action in the midst of, of letting go, right? It's, a, it's an interesting, interesting phenomenon. And, you know, um, I guess uh, for me, um, again, if someone were to ask me to summarize the entire OA program, those two words are the ones that I would choose. And I've heard some, another um, 12-step person tell me, let go. That, that's it. That's the total essence. That's the entire essence of the spiritual program of action, to let go. And really, that seems to be so counterintuitive to a person who, 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 who has attempted to control my life and manage my life and manage your life and thinks about nothing but my life, 
occasionally thinking about your life in the context of my life. And it leaves me with the sensation that there wouldn't be, you know, much left for me to do <laughs> if I'm going to let go, because it almost seems like a passive thing, which if that's the case, that would reduce my importance significantly, wouldn't it? And that's the, the point of spirituality is to reduce my significance, not to make me lower than you, but to reduce my significance until it's gone, recognizing that it'll never be gone. The ego will never be gone in human beings. But that's the purpose of this program is to continually turn my consciousness towards God so that I can reduce my own significance. And the only significance that is left then is God's. And, and you know, you might, you might reflect a, a bit and say, well, well, the program looks like it's a lot more than that to me. But if you start taking the program apart and you, and, you, and you take the program as we do and we study this big book step by step, paragraph by paragraph, line by line, right? Starting out, you know, it's an endless process. It's, it's an endless march of letting go. We start out with surrendering and letting go to the fact that we're compulsive overeaters. And that's not done intellectually. I didn't put down the, the snicker bars as an intellectual exercise in nutrition. That is done mechanically through pain, you know, applied by food. <laughs> the food just grabs, grabs me by the arm and it twists my arm behind my back and it raises us up. And it's, you like to give up yet, Larry? You'd like to let go? No. So the food, you know, raises my arm a little bit more behind my back. You ever have someone do that and raise your arm behind your back there and the pain until, in, until the bones start to break? That's how we surrender in the beginning. It's, uh, you know, it's uh, inevitable that it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And so in a strange way, the glue that holds OA together, the very glue that holds us together in some, you know, humorous fashion here is food. It just sits out there wandering around, you know, whistling a little tune and year after year after year, just waiting for someone to come out and go, the hell with that crap. And, and the food just, the donuts just jump right out of the bushes. Little pint cartons of ice cream, cellophane bags, as Leah says, and crunchy things and bakery boxes all over the place. And, hey, I, I feel your pain. Come on. Hey, kid, come on over here. And I swear it will look like God's will that I pick that up. And these things will appear out of nowhere. And then it will start applying the pressure to, you know, push you towards surrender and surrender and more surrender, right? And, and so no one got here on a winning streak. I, I, if you did, call me. I want to hear the person that got here on a winning streak that just that walked by. Everybody <laughs> saying, you want to find the meeting in Minnesota when she was out in Minnesota? Look for the, you know, listen for the laughter. I have never saw, you know, there is a lot of laughter in my meeting, my, my face-to-face meeting, a lot of laughter. I have never heard or observed someone come by that was just on a winning streak in life. And, and from the laughter, they just came in and said, hey, I, 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 I couldn't uh, stop hearing the laughter. You got a problem with the substance? No. 
I just want to be a part of you guys. No, that doesn't. We get here crawling, right? Tombstones in our eyes, all these words that you gave me, it all describes me, right? And then the food applies the pressure, the pain. Here comes the pain, baby. And so each one of us is very familiar with the fact that one way or another, we had to let go of our eating. And so that was the beginning of letting go. But rest assured, it was just the beginning. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of the sentence in the third step of the AA 12 and 12, where it's been suggested that we turn over, you know, we turn our whole life over to the care of our higher power. And uh, you know what Bill writes? He writes the point that he's, he's trying to make. He does this quite often because he knows us very well. He writes the point he's trying to make, and then he writes what our reactions to that point is going to be, which is gen generally negative for me. It's generally negative, right? And, and he's talking about the struggle of letting go of alcohol and pointing out that, that that's just the beginning, that, there, that there's going to be one thing after another, one kid after another. You're only, you, know, you got a bunch, I only got one kid, but I'm only as good as my, you know, my emotional state is only as good as that one child, their emotional state. You got 10, Leia? Yeah, you know what I mean, right? Others of you have some, you know what I mean. And that there's going to be one thing after another. And in my own case, I can remember after a broken marriage, a job upheaval, I was confronted the, with the idea that I would have to relinquish this eating thing. Still, what, wait, at the same time of the job of evil, the, 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 the relationship breakup at the same time, I'm going to have to relinquish this eating thing. And starting in 08, you know, you know my, it, was, it wasn't too long after starting that my sponsor noticed that I, I would call him after every family function, you know, back into the food, especially when I went to my mom's house where there were lots of goodies and lots of resentments. The countertops were filled with goodies and resentments for me. That's all I saw through my perceptive lens. And I don't know if he guessed or what. It was so long ago. But he figured out that I had been sneaking some of those goodies out to my car. He, he knew me when no one was looking, you know, bags of desserts. And I, literally sneaking them, you know, from my family. Didn't want anyone to see. 100 pounds heavier. They didn't know that I had a problem with food, right? Uh, and, um, and I would take, uh, you know, leftover pizza and all the stuff and, you know, which, which I don't know if you want to be a stickler about it, but he told me that, that under no uncertain terms, that was, um, stealing <laughs> if you want to be a stickler. And he said, you, you just can't keep doing that. And I said, I, I, I can't, it's my, it's my family. He said, no. So all I took out of that was that there are now, you know, two things, two, two things that I couldn't do coming into OA, eating and stealing. And, and, and then later I learned that I can't lie, <laughs> you know, and oh, look at three things. There's the, so I can't eat the food, there's no stealing, and no lying, you know, and on and on. So I have to keep letting go of certain things. What, what is it with you people? I, I got to keep letting go of stuff. And I thought, I was like, oh my goodness, I thought, I thought it was just the eating, but, but okay, I'll go along with that. So the eating and the stealing and the lying and, you know, you, anyways, you, so then I, a number of weeks went by and he kind of noticed that I was, you know, really impatient. For example, when someone didn't return my calls right, right away, I would get restless and irritable and I'd, I'd eventually become very judgmental. 
I mean, how dare you? You're, you're over. You're my personal volunteer. You told me so. And eventually, I'd end up by you know spewing my venom on folks. And and, and he said, you know, I got to talk to you about something. And if you're going to stay abstinent, if you want to stay abstinent, you, you can't be treating people that way every time you get impatient. Okay, so there's another thing. And now there's four things that I have to refrain from. And, you know, as the months went by, he was coming up with something all the time that I needed to let go of. It was just, oh, one more thing is required to, to, to give up, to relinquish, relinquish theory. Um, and as the steps unfolded, it became apparent that I was going to do a lot of work uncovering all the things that were objectionable that I had to let go, all of the things that were standing in the way of me and my creator. You know, because the only thing between me and my creator was me. The, the only thing between you and me is, is me. And, and that's why I was going to inventory these things and why I was going to run them by my sponsor and with God's help, let them go. And in order to get a true perspective on these objectionable items, I was going to be in the perfect position to let them go. And part of letting go is discarding those things that I found objectionable. Let them go. See, we're entirely ready to let God remove all these defects of character. You know, God, God, God. Every every time you turn around here, here it's you know in these rooms it's 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 more letting go to God. I mean, what 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 is it? Does God have a you know like a PR director here? I mean, I'm I'm sort of an action guy, and letting go seems rather passive to me. You know, it's like I I, I get the idea of letting go, but I thought when does the committee get involved? Me myself and I. When do I get involved in this deal here? And um, because you know. I view all resolution to solving my problem through action and whose action, my action. And this is the whole deal. For example, if you, if you're worried about something right now, think of something you're worried about right now. We all worry we're human. And if you are worried about something, that's because it's a paradox. If something's bothering you today, you know, you just got, you got fired and, and, and you don't know what to do about it and, and you're naturally upset about it. And, and if we were to de delve a bit further on the nature of that fear, a person might say, well, I'm terrified about money. How am I going to come up with money tomorrow, next week? How am I going to put food in my home? How am I going to feed the kids? How am I going to make ends meet? And I said, okay, well, tell you what, would you let me work on that for you for a while? Because I happen to know how to put this um, into the abundance of the universe. And I, I happen to know how to get, you know, get the word out, um, you know. And would you be willing to give me the entire problem that you're working on? And if you do that and just say, all right, you know, that's fine. And you come back to tomorrow and, and you might very well say to me, you know, what occurred to me last night, I, I really ought to call my, uh, my father. He's been helpful in the past. I'm going to call my father with this thing. And he, he's got, you know, the type of um, guidance and, and, and help that might be able to, I might be able to use my skills. So what happened there? Because you gave me the problem. I'm only using me as a symbol, right? Because you gave the disturbance away, your channel of serenity 
can be accessed more readily. It can be opened so that your truth can, can come to fruition. Haven't you seen that happen in your life? If, uh, if, I, if you can arrive undisturbed, that's what we're talking about here. In order to get the answer to anything, we have to stop demanding it as an entitlement. In other words, if we have to, you know, we have to relinquish the need to have it, whatever it is, we have to relinquish the need to have it. And then the channel to the power may be accessed. Then, you know, my experience is then we begin to receive the guidance from our creator because we contain inside of ourselves all the truth there is. And I, I, I'm not a source of truth for you. I've heard someone say, I'm a, I'm a way revealer. <clears throat> I'm a way shower. You, you can come to another human being who has followed this path and they can say, this is the, this direction. Here's the direction you can go to get that. So now when we speak of the spiritual principles involved, you know, we are evolving in this direction. We give each other very specific advice all the time in order to stay alive, you know, long enough to have the problem of spiritual action work in this context. But w what I'm talking about um, is the whole point of the program is to end up in a state of surrender. And when we end up in a state of surrender, what I've noticed is a lot of interesting things begin to happen, begin to unfold. And, and what I thought about lately when I'm working with uh, folks who are embarking on this pathway, this 12-step this, this journey, is to sit down and discuss the problem until they see that they don't have a problem. I can remember, um, you know, going to my sponsor um, one time with, with a pretty catastrophic problem. And, um, and you, you know the one, you know, the, the sky is falling type of problem. And my catastrophic problem was I, I just, I couldn't get home from teaching. I couldn't get home from teaching at a local college without stopping for food, you know, and um, it was in the skies falling and, 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 and he, and he would say, okay, well, yeah, you know, you got a point here. I, I see where you're coming from, but on the other hand, you know, you're going to meetings and you're, and you do need to put the food down. I'm not saying that, you know, you need to do that, but you're going to meetings and you're starting to learn and the, and the food and the disease are starting to twist your arm behind your back. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing because the pain of the disease, I know it feels like the sky is falling, but the pain of the disease is doing its work. And I, and I, and he said, you know, I, I, I see hope here for you, Larry. And, and it, and it seems like you're really coming around. I think things are coming around for you. And so my sponsor would talk and talk and all this positive stuff. And, and we get through and I'd say, well, well, if you look at it that way, you know, maybe I had it wrong and, you know, maybe. And so the problem concerned an incorrect perspective I was carrying around. The sky was falling. I couldn't stop eating. Well, he saw hope in me. He saw that the, yeah, it's painful. I, I see that, but I really see you coming around. I see the, oh my gosh, we, we should celebrate. Maybe not with a Sunday or a ding dong, but we should celebrate that the food's doing its job, you know? And, and, and so the problem that I was carrying around with this incorrect perspective 
you know, was based on a, a perceptive limitation of the scope of, of what I was willing to consider. I, I only the fact that the sky was falling, I hadn't considered that the disease was, my goodness, the disease is starting to do its job. It had to do its job on everybody. You're just a little bit more stubborn than the next guy, maybe. I don't know. But that's a great thing, man. So how does that perspective get changed? By letting go of the old perspective, which are all the old ideas. Leah talked about the old ideas, the old conceptions, the old fears, the old philosophies. These had to give way to new ideas, new conceptions, new philosophies. I had to let go of those things. Now, you don't, here's the interesting thing. When he said that, it wasn't like magic. And then I let go, and then I skipped to a meeting, and I lived happily ever after, and here I am doing a special edition. Oh, no. There was going to be more pain. But now I could no longer, every time I stopped uh, in the future, after I was teaching and driving home, 45 minutes, and I would stop, my perceptive lens changed. I saw the pain of the disease doing its job. And I began by God's, I think, a divine intervention through new perceptive goggles. I began to be motivated to say, okay, I think, I, boy, the, yeah, the pain is getting greater and greater. I think I'm ready to let go of the food. I'm going to drive home and I'm shaking. And I get home and, I, and I, I'm shaking. Maybe physical withdrawal, emotional withdrawal, whatever it is. And I'm, and I'm pacing. And I'm thinking, and I can't stop the circus, the monkey chatter. And then I go to bed, and I don't fall right asleep. And then eventually I fall asleep, and I wake up the next morning. And then I lived happily ever after, and here I am doing a special edition. Oh, no, no, see, it's a constant, it's a constant layers of letting go and serenity, layers of letting go and letting go and letting go and more letting go, right? Have you ever seen a dog instinctively grab onto something <laughs> like, a, like a bone or a chew toy? Man, they guard that thing like their life depends on it. And for many dogs, I had a dog, uh, many, and, and they, they don't even try to chew, you know, to take, you, you don't even try to take the chew toy away, right? In other words, there is something instinctive that simply will not allow them to let go. We have more in common with that dog than we know, right? We, I don't want to let go of my chew toy. Next time you drive, as you, no, as you're driving, see some of us, as you're driving to McDonald's today, it might make you laugh. You may go in anyway, but you'll, you'll forevermore, you will see it as your chew toy. I'm just not ready to put my chew toy down yet. And maybe you won't die. Maybe that'll be the one thing you'll remember from this meeting. You're like a dog. And I say that with love and respect and grace. You're like a dog with a chew toy. And so was I. And we have an extraordinarily difficult time letting go of our chew toy. And some of the chew toys are resentments, and some of them are Oreos, and some of them are fears and Big Macs and dishonesty and judgment and milkshakes and self-seeking behaviors. And page 62 reminds me about my chew toys. I just came up with that. Here's what it says about my chew toys on page 62. Selfishness, Larry, your chew toy, and self-centeredness, that we think is the root of your troubles. It's not the chew toy. It's your selfishness and your self-centeredness of being unwilling to put it down. That's the root of your trouble. It's the chew toy doesn't make you that way. 
It's your selfishness and self-centeredness. And what it boils down to is our ego. It's, and, and for me, it's in my sense of self that, you know, according to our story, our narrative is absolutely necessary for me to continue to function as an individual, you know. I'm going to put my struggles and my fears and my chew toy in front of everything. And anything I put in front of God is going to grow and expand. And when I let go and, 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 and have the courage to turn my consciousness towards God, if you're not ready for that, just put your chew toy down. Oh, and, and, and an hour from now, do it again. Yeah, just build up some confidence. Put your chew toy down again. And then maybe someday as you're learning that you're, you can be okay without your chew toy, you'll begin to see the divine nature. You'll begin to see the divine nature of your higher power infiltrating you. And what you, you hardly thought was possible, that God was doing for you what you could not do for yourself, right? It's pretty extraordinary. I'm going to check the time here. Okay. We'll get to questions in a moment. I want to um, I want to say a couple more things. Um, so I'm going to try to stay close to God. I'm going to try to perform His work well, right? You know, we've been in a sense divinely crafted to be of service to others, particularly to those who suffer from this disease. Now, not that I can't be helpful to others in my profession. You know, as a psychologist, I can more so today than ever. But I'll tell you this. I am not as divinely crafted to be of service to patients as I am to a bunch of drunks and compulsive overeaters like myself. Because I, I was dying from this disease. And in that context, all the suffering I experienced to get here makes perfect sense. Why I struggle with that, why I stuff, you know, why I, 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 I suffered, it all makes divine sense in that light. There's a usefulness that comes out of that, right? And, you know, the big book says stuff about this, you know, God's will for me. Every time we read the big book, what consistent message comes pouring out for me? It says stuff like, and then we turn our attention to who, you know, who we can help. It's always about self-centeredness. It's all, you know, for me before. Now it's about other-centeredness. And then we turn our attention to who we can help. Any vision of God's will that involves making me better, all about me, is not a vision of God's will. It's just another self-delusion. It's another self-centered operation for me. God's will for me is to clean my attic every day, continually, for a lifetime, so I can be more effective, letting go, getting, getting rid of things in the attic. In the attic. His divine, you know, then I could be more effective to help others. His divine creation, you, I can, I can be helpful. And the great promise is that if you do that, Larry, you'll never need for anything in your life. And I thought I needed a new car and a new girlfriend. And I thought I needed, you know, stuff. And that would fill the hole of my soul and none of it would. And, and, and for those of us who are lucky enough to see the process through, you know, who, who become immersed in this way of life, who become usefully whole, discover that sense that, that comes from helping others, laying down the bayonet of judgment. And are you carrying around a bayonet of judgment for others? 
Are you sticking people with the bayonet of judgment for others? You know, these, there's a magic that comes when I'm working with someone, say, on their fifth step, as I have been recently, or I spend a whole afternoon with a person who's dying, and he can't imagine living without food. He can't imagine it. I remember what that felt like, and I'm sure he sees no hope. And then it's so miraculous when he begins to see just a tiny glimmer of a way out of this hell. And both he and I will come out of that exchange with a feeling of God's mercy and grace. And in moments like that, I feel inside me, I feel truly, you know, that I can be of service to God and only love, compassion, and, and, and this connection with another suffering soul is when I get that because I'm fulfilling my primary purpose. I'm trying to get right with myself and right with God's universe. I want to close with, um, with this story that I'm going to botch up. It's a fable. It's a fable. If you've heard it before, I'm going to do a variation of it because it, it, it really helps me a lot. And it's kind of a Buddhist thing, but it's, it's in line with what we're talking about letting go, right? So here's the fable. There's a, there's a, there's a farmer, and he worked his crops for many, many years, right? And one day, he had a horse, and one day his horse ran away. And upon hearing the news, you know, his neighbors came over to him and they said, oh, my goodness, such bad luck. It's horrible. Your horse ran away and they were very sympathetic. You know, what a, what a horrible, terrible thing. And he, and he says, yeah, you know, may, maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. <laughs> With a smile, this old man. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. And so the next morning, <clears throat> you know, the horse for returned, bringing with it three other wild horses. It, it, it was amazing how wonderful the neighbors saw this and they, 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 they couldn't believe it. And they, and they came back and they said, oh my God, you're so fortunate. What tremendous fortune. Your ho- Not only did your horse come back, but he brought three other horses and, and, the, and the old farmer just smiled and he said, yeah, he goes, I don't know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. And so the following day, his, his, uh, his only son tried to ride one of the untamed horses and he was thrown from the horse and he was injured and his, his leg was, was broken. He was in pain and, and the neighbors came again and, and to offer their sympathy and their help and, he, and uh, on his misfortune. And he, they, they said, this is terrible. I mean, his, his son that was helping him farm and now he's laid up and he's in pain. And he, and he said, and he smiled the old man and he said, I, I don't know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. And then the next day there was a, uh, his son's leg was broken, and um, and the uh, the army was recruiting all the young men to fight in a battle. All the young men from the surrounding villages, and and, and there was word out that they were all getting slaughtered. And they they passed by, and and they, and they saw the young son, and he, they couldn't they couldn't you know recruit him into the army because he was injured. I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Letting go. I don't. I don't know. If it's a blessing, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Can we put down and stop um, with the judgment and the opinions? If you want the opinions of addicts, they're so available. You know, they're so available. You can drive anywhere, any bakery, any restaurant. You could. You, you people eat still in the food on the line. You get their opinions. I, I'm gonna. For me, for me, you guys, I'm gonna focus on the teachings of the Big Book because the delusion that I'm under if it is a delusion, is that I have not found it necessary um, to eat my binge foods in, in many years now. And, um, and you know, and, 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 and not only that, 
um, generally, you know, my opinions and my judgments, I, I don't, I'm not ruled by them anymore. I know that I don't know much. I really and truly know that I don't know much. And the more that I practice putting down things, situations, circumstances, putting down judgment, putting down, and more that I just accept and say, there is a God, it's not me, and I'm just going to turn my consciousness every day, whether it's sleet or snow, or whether it's a sunny, warm day, and just be okay with not knowing in the great mysteries here, the better my life becomes the more opportunities to do his work well that I get. It's amazing. So anyways, with that, Leah, thanks for the opportunity, and I will pass. Thank you so much, Larry, for sharing your personal experience and insights with us. Always compelling and enlightening. Thank you very much. Today's share ID, 13,579. That's 13579. Larry's contact information will be offered at the conclusion of the recording, so stay tuned for that. We will now transition to question and answers. You can pose a question to Larry by pressing star 1 to unmute. I need your first name as well as your initial to your last name, please. Tina S. Is that Tina S.? Yes. Okay, gotcha, Tina. Thanks. Mary Ann V. Mary Ann V. Julie B. Julie E. B. Got you. Who did I miss there? Wendy B. Wendy B. Tamara C. Tamara C. Okay, let's go with this group. Everybody mute, please, except for Tina S. Go ahead, Tina. Did you call me, Leah? I did. Okay, sorry, I was on mute. Good morning. Thanks so much for your service. Appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Larry, so very much. And uh, I texted you, but I, I just have to tell you in person that, you know, I feel like we're having a one-on-one today. <laughs> you know, I feel like you're just so speaking to me, you know. I've had this issue with um, my job in the past couple of weeks, which I love my job, and it's just a wonderful – I have many opportunities there. But, you know, I'm not perfect, so therefore I think I'm not good enough. And um you know, when I get reminded that my, my job today is to be of maximum service to God and to those about me, then I get a little different perspective. But my question is, because, you know, I, you know, I'm shaking my head as I'm walking my dogs around the neighborhood listening to you. My question is, okay, it sounds wonderful. I mean, and when I get in that place, it is so wonderful. But in the moment, I guess, you know, it's like it's that, you know, instant gratification. You know, I can get in that fear. But, you know, how do you do it so so quickly or not even so quickly but you know is it just about the 10th step or if you could just expand a little more about you know on the spot or whatever uh, I don't even know if I'm making any sense but I just know that the solution is God and letting go for sure if you could just expand a little bit more on on that catching it thing thanks so much yeah. I hope it made sense oh you did Tina thanks for the question yeah I can I can relate see if I can pull something out of my um, own experience with that too so you know, this, this notion of not, you know, not feeling we're up to the task or not being good enough. And, 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 and in that imperfection, we just, we want things to turn around so quickly. And, and the truth is, you know, more and more as I practice these principles, and you know, Tina, you've been around a long time, more and more as I practice these principles, I've given up, you know, that God job. I've given up the expectation 
that things are going to always, that I'm always going to feel better. I just know in my heart of hearts and what the program teaches us is there's, there's a dance between action and acceptance. There are some things that I just have to accept about myself. I mentioned my panic attacks, but you're, you're mentioning something a bit more benign. Yeah, I work, I work, and, 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 and sometimes I feel good about my work, sometimes less so. Sometimes I feel connected to God, sometimes less so. Sometimes I feel judgmental towards other people, and sometimes less so. But I will tell you that more and more as I practice this stuff, what happens is is that it doesn't stick to me like Velcro. The judgment doesn't stick to me like Velcro. The disconnection from God, because I just turn my consciousness towards God. If there is a secret for me, um, and and this isn't going to catch anyone that's been around uh, by surprise. If there is a secret, if you will, for me, it's it's not so secret. It's buried throughout our big book. And that is service and self-sacrifice from others. It's the most counterintuitive thing for me to do when I'm feeling bad. Whatever's making me feel bad. Maybe, maybe I don't even know why I'm feeling bad. But when I'm feeling bad, I'm feeling not good enough. I'm feeling off. I'm feeling judgmental towards others. It is the most counterintuitive thing. It's not where my mind goes is to turn my thoughts towards others. Back to kind of the 10th step. So I do that pro- maybe even more so. It's become so second nature for me, Tina that I do that so quickly. Why? Because I'm, because I have some sort of special, you know, spidey sense. No, I, I do that because through the pain of this, I've just been guided again and again, turn your thoughts, Larry. Turn, yes, you're feeling crappy. Turn your thoughts. You're, you're feeling, you know, too high and mighty. You're feeling too low. Turn your thoughts to someone else you can help. And when I do that, I have never, I know you haven't either, I've never picked up the phone and called someone to talk about them, not me, or fielded a phone call to talk to someone about, you know, themselves, or even not in program, you know, in my daily life, work colleagues, family. I've never done that with a true sense in the midst of my suffering and pain and self-centeredness and really turn my thoughts to how I could be of service to them. And I've never walked away from those experiences, whether they're 10 second experiences or 10-minute experiences. I've never walked away feeling that that was a waste of time or feeling worse than when I started. I always, and boy, that's a, that's a, that's a strong word. I always feel better. I feel more spiritual. I feel more connected to God. So I just keep doing that, Tina. You know, I just keep doing it. Low, expect, low expectations of the outcome. Whatever the outcome is, that's up to God. So I hope that helps a little bit. Oh, it does. Thanks so much. I appreciate you, Larry. Have a good one. Same here. Thank you, Tina. Mary Ann V, star one to unmute. Hi, this is Mary Ann V from upstate New York. Uh, I have a quick question, Larry. What's the difference between the terms let go, let God, surrender, and what it says in the third step, turn my will and my life over to the care of God? Are they different? Are they the same? And is surrender and letting go and letting God coming from also some of the other steps thanks yeah that's a great question and i don't i don't know that i'll I'll have i'm sure there'll be other people that have will have a more complete answer for you you know what comes to mind for me is letting go you know let go let god you know we hear that we hear that letting go I, i talked about a lot of mundane things you know just simple things where i i let go 
every day I let go of the food. It, it's not hard now. You know, it hasn't been hard that way. I just don't think about it. God has removed the obsession. Um, but letting go for me can be the simplest of things. Letting go of my judgment in the moment. So it's letting go is, I'm immersed in letting go all day long. But not in a, not in a place, Marianne, of misery and suffering of letting go. It just becomes second nature. So letting go, I do that and, and thereby I let God. You know, I don't even think about that aspect. God does what God does. That's, you know, God, I, God is something greater than me. I don't have to understand the mystery of what God has in store for me, but I do know that when I let go of certain things, God is just, it's not even a two-step process. At first I let go, and then I let God. It's just let go, let God. It's just by letting go, I am letting God do work. Surrender for me, similar, you know, similar. I don't know that, you know, in the big book, you know, the big, the big book, the word, you know, the word surrender is, is embedded throughout the, the first 164 pages, you know, that we, that we surrender. I think, I think to, for me, um, I think of surrender in some ways uh, similarly, but surrender for me is a more all-encompassing uh, uh, proposition because I view it from the context of program that my surrender happens in a holistic fashion by working the steps in sequence, in order, so that the steps, immersing myself in the instructions in the text, that is my surrender. Now it doesn't, surrender as we, as I think I mentioned, or if I didn't allude to it, I'll expand on it. Surrender is not a passive thing for me whatsoever. Surrender is most certainly an action. I am embedded in the step work. You know, even as I am on a daily basis embedded in the step work. Right now, I would say, what are you doing? Right now, I am certainly, uh, this is this, the, the 12th step. I'm immersed in that. I'm doing the best I can to carry this message, right? And in the process, to, I'm, I'm trying my best to, as, a human, as best a human being can, to practice these principles in all my affairs. There's surrender in that. But I'm, 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 I'm actively sharing with you. I had to give, you know, do some preparation and think about this. So there's an action, but the surrender holistically is for me is a process uh, that is when I'm immersed in the work, following the instructions in the text, following the step work precisely, imperfectly, but precisely doing it quickly, right? Doing it quickly. I still do it quick, quickly. I still do it quickly. You know, when I'm feeling selfish, dishonest, self-seeking and afraid happens to me on a regular basis. When those things crop up, I, I do this work quickly. And in that, Marianne, is a complete process of surrender. I'm no longer running the show. I'm no longer in charge. I hope that helps a little bit. Thank you, Marianne V. Julie E.B., your turn. Yay, this is Julie E.B. Um, in Colorado. Thank you so much. <laughs> I think of the speaker who says, if I knew there were so many surrenders in this program, I never would have started. Um, and uh, I, I, I really heard that resonating. Lately, as I've been doing 10 steps, I've encountered, I don't know, maybe about 10 people when I'm done that for feedback will ask me if I'm feeling good. And I go back to this place of saying, well, I don't really trust my feelings. Like I have a relief, 
sometimes I feel more fear, more anger, um, <laughs> more joy. Um, but God always brings what you call acceptance. And I'm, I'm just wondering where you see that with regards to the big book and how that 10-step works. Thanks. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Thank you for that question, Julie. Um, I'll I'll just I'll, I'll tell you how it. Um, I'll read from the big book on how it how it seems to unfold in my life because I I can definitely relate to that. I don't always, I don't expect to feel good always anymore. Um, you know, and on the top of page eighty seven, it it um it says what used to be the hunch or occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. Being still inexperienced and having just made conscious contact with God, it's not probable that uh, that Julie is going to be inspired at all times. I mean, Larry isn't. No human being is. And you know, we we might pay for this presumption in all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. Nevertheless, you know, more and more, Julie, you're going to find that your thinking will, as time passes, as you practice this stuff, be more and more on the plane of inspiration. We come to rely upon it. So I do come to rely upon it. I um, I don't do a lot of preparation in terms of you know writing things down anymore. I used to do that if I'm presenting or doing a workshop or something. I don't do that because I just more and more I see that my thinking as time passes, as I as I become, uh, you know, the program is not something that I do. I heard Leah say she says so much that sticks to me like Velcro. Thank God. That, and I'm probably going to botch it, but it really articulates what it is. You know, program is not something I do. It's who I am. You know, so more and more I'm on the plane of inspiration. I just come to rely upon God working through me. And sometimes I'm going to suffer through it. You know, we get the impression, like, we see these, you'll see these people in Newark, and you'll think they don't have any problems. I love when Harlan says, uh, says I know some people, if you see them, you wonder what, you know, you see their physical packaging. That's not his words, mine. You, you, you think, you know, we, we, they can't have this problem. And you get to know them and you see they're just like us. Not everyone came here at 70 pounds and not everyone came here at 700 pounds, right? But, um, but back to your question, I'm digressing a little bit, is just this idea that, you know, the 10 step is just a, it's just a way of life that I'm going to continue to take a look at my stuff, you know, and it gives me very specific instructions looking, you know, it's not an overnight matter. It's going to continue for a lifetime. I'm watching for the selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Um, and I'm going to begin to do that when I'm in the ninth step. But if I'm trying to do that while I'm still eating food, so in other words, I haven't even taken the step, the first step. Um, and I'm not suggesting you're doing that, but if I if I'm still in the food or the behaviors that way, um, uh, like the anorexic behaviors, the, all those types of things. You know, for me personally, this doesn't come with judgment. It just comes with my experience, which is consistent with what the big book says. Um, I haven't conceded to my innermost self. So for me to start to do 10 steps, I may be doing a 1,000 of them a day and getting no relief whatsoever. I tried that. That didn't work so well. <laughs> but, um, but, Julie, yeah, with you, no, it's just, uh, you know, you'll come more and more. Just keep practicing. Keep rowing your boat, just like me. All right. Hope that helps. Thank you, Julie. Wendy B. Star one, unmute. Yeah. Hi. This is Wendy B. And um, you mentioned, you know, that naturally uh, viewing solving all my problems through action, and focus on um, doing rather than being. 
and that's such a strong drive within me. And I was wondering if you wanted to expound on that some more. Thank you. Yeah, thank thank you, Wendy, for the question. Um, you know, we we uh, we study the Big Book. I, I love this meeting, this Healthy Overeaters Anonymous meeting. I go to a face-to-face healthy meeting filled with, you know, some people that are there, you know, that are sick like me. We're all, we're all sick. We all got here on a losing streak. But there is good recovery. They do, they do, it's funny, the face-to-face meeting does the same thing we do on vision. We, we read the big book. We study the instructions in the text. And I mentioned that as a prelude to your question because it's in the text where it's taking action after action after action. See, as a psychologist, I believe, yes, all action is born in thought. That, that is true. I believe that, that all, all action is first born in thought. You're not on this line today without having a thought that you want to be. Now, you're here because you made a decision. And there are some people that are not on the line this morning. And I'm not talking about the ones that dropped off when they heard my voice. <laughs> Those people have a different motive. But I'm talking about the ones that did plan on being here but are not here because they didn't take the action to dial in. They took other actions. They're still sleeping. They're, you know, they're not bad people. It's just, for me, the do, I can do and be differently because of the actions that I continually take day after day, imperfectly, but I take these and I follow these instructions precisely. I always took action. Like Halloween, you know, I remember the actions I used to take during Halloween. Okay, let me tell you about them real quickly. I would, my daughter, just have the one daughter, Beth, right? And she doesn't go trick-or-treating anymore. She's a grown woman. Um, but she would go trick-or-treating as a little girl when I, before I came into program. And we would take her candy. She has a peanut allergy. I would separate, separate those out. Um, and, um, and then I would, the other action I took was made a promise to her that I wouldn't eat her candy. She knew early on that I couldn't keep a promise when it came to the food. So she, even at three and four and five, she knew to, um, dad, don't take my candy. And I meant it when I told her by taking the action that I wouldn't eat the candy. Right. And then I would hide the candy from myself in my trunk because I'm not going to go out in the cold, you know, October in Chicago, it's cold. And then of course I would go out and eat the candy and then I would drive out later to replace the candy. I was taking actions then before, but the actions I were taking did not allow me to be the human being that God wanted me to be. Today, I can be the human being that God wanted me to be. Not perfect, but I can be and show up as the human being that my divine creator wanted me to be because I took the right actions, these actions embedded in these steps with integrity, right? So, so my being and doing is much different today because I was willing to take these actions with the paradoxical, paradoxical nature of letting go, right? Letting go while taking, letting go, not passive. Putting the food down, letting it go, not a passive thing, is it, you know? So I hope that helps a little bit to eliminate somewhat my thoughts on it. Thanks, Wendy. Thank you, Wendy. Tamara C., your turn. Good morning, Larry. Thank you for your share. Um, I'm sure that you you have uh, answered this a million times over. 
uh, it's Tamara in South Carolina. Um, so a major impediment I have is getting this vicarious thrill out of um, this delusion of control. And I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit more about your experience of letting go of, uh, you know, this idea that you have control. Yeah, well, I, I uh, you know, uh, I'm still human and human beings, you know, we're, you know, there are things that we, there are actions we take and things that we do. We're living our lives. We're, we're on our, we're in our meeting for an hour or so. And, you know, we may be working with others and all that stuff, but what, what are we doing the rest of our time? And yeah, the, you know, um, I think what it is, is uh, this is the, you know, I was in therapy for years uh, as on the receiving end, right? That That's actually part of being a therapist in most most situations as you subject yourself to that process and um and even that pre presented a vicarious thrill for me in the sense where else can i talk about myself i mean my committee boy oh boy did we talk about the committee for 50 sometimes 55 minutes you know and um, where else could i do that and that was thrilling you know to just be able to unload all the reasons why i all the problems you you people were causing me uh, you people, I say that symbolically, right? All the all the things that were going wrong. I sought vicarious thrill in lots of things. I think, again, subjecting myself, being willing to, to subject myself to this process, first by putting the food down, letting that go, putting down my old conceptions about God and step two, letting that go, you know, letting go of the idea that I have to have this whole mysterious God thing figured out, but just making a decision in three to, move on with the rest of the work and then trusting in a process in the work in four through nine trusting in a process that has worked for others even because didn't you know tamara i'm always the smartest one in the room so i was sure it wasn't going to work right and those of you that in in whom the problem had been solved you're either delusional or the other shoe is going to drop eventually and and for many of you um it hasn't, you know. So, um, so for me today, as a result of, of of just doing the work, I will tell you that I have less vicarious thrills. You know, we talk about the four impediments to recovery in the context of recovery, and you mentioned, you know, a vicarious thrill that we're just not willing to let go of, to put down, a secret that we're not willing to tell. I don't know why we're just not willing to let it go yet. You know, a resentment that we keep polishing and holding on to and it's sticking to us like Velcro. A resentment we won't give up. You know, an amend we amend we won't make. I will not make that amend. I was I'm too hurt by it or I'm too ashamed by it. You know, um and so for me today it might be a boring answer. I don't know, Tamara, but I couldn't do it until I had worked this process. Now, let's say you have worked the process and you say, well, I still struggle with it. Acceptance, acceptance is the answer. Acceptance that God may, God, you know, maybe, it, maybe it's a problem, Tamara. Maybe it isn't. Remember the fable? I don't know. Maybe God's using that to move you in some other direction, to guide you in some other direction. Maybe it's a problem, that vicarious thrill. Maybe it isn't. We shall see, right? All right, with that, I will pass. Thanks for the question. Thank you, Tamara. Thanks, Larry. It's perfect. Thanks. We have time for 
of two or three more questions. Anyone else with something on their mind? Sharwani? Melinda? Melinda? I hear Barbara E, but I missed a few people. Eileen Cry- B. Eileen B. Sheila O. Sheila O. Okay. I've got Eileen B. Sharon C. And Sharon C., you'll wrap us up then. Eileen B., Melinda, I didn't get your initial. Barbara E., Sheila O., Sharon C. Okay, that's Irene B. Okay, Irene B., you're up. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you for your Lisa service. Lisa B.? Oh, who is supposed to go, Irene? Hello, can I be heard? Yes, go ahead, uh, Irene okay. B. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. And, Larry, thank you so much for your amazing talk. I really enjoyed it. Uh, here's my eternal question. Uh, I've shared recently that even though I am two and a half years abstinent and the food is for the most part, under control, it doesn't speak to me because I'm terrified of it and I know that I can't go back to it. And I guess that means that I'm free because I do not have the compulsion to binge and purge. Just a small little regret that doesn't last long. Anyway, my question is, I have self-judgment, self-criticism, self-comparison, self-hatred. And I know I need to let go of those things, but I don't know how, other than service, because I heard your talk and I said, you know what, when you're feeling bad, it's because I'm engaging in those uh, distortions. Uh, Service and outreach to others would be helpful, but besides service and outreach to others, uh, is there anything else you could suggest, something that you found particularly helpful to you in overcoming your self-dislike, self-hatred, or self-judgment? Yeah, that that that's a good question. Thanks, Irene B, for that question. Um, you know, uh, for me, the areas where there was self-loathing, as I became, um, and as I continue, I should say, as I continue to become more and more a person of integrity. None of us are perfectly have perfect integrity. There's not a person walking, putting their pants on, breathing, their heart their hearts beating that 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 is that's walking on water, right? Um, But through this work, and again, service and self-sacrifice for others, the first five years of that, um, you know, there was a lot of growth, and that growth continues to unfold, and I accept that it'll unfold this long period of reconstruction. We, We hear about in the big book in terms of the family afterwards. There's a long period of reconstruction in myself, and only God gets to decide the cadence and pace in which that unfolding occurs. And I accept that, you know, so, so are there areas for me that I, you know, that I still uh, feel, uh, you know, that I feel less than I feel some shame about, I wish were different. Sure. But it's, it's kind of like when I shared that my sponsor helped me to uh, years ago to turn things around when I, I walked in with the, the sky is falling sort of, perceptive lens everything was the sky is falling i hate myself the sky is falling i can't put down the food the sky is falling great larry you know um 
boy, what what an opportunity. God, you know, God's got you right where he, he wants you. So I would say, I read, God's got you right where he, he wants you, right where she wants you, right where God, your higher power, your creator, your divine creator wants you, you know, and can we accept a big one for me, one of my biggest character flaws that I still work on is impatience. I want, you know, I want the whole world. You know, wrapped up. I can't remember the words from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Remember Veruca? You know, and I, Daddy, I want it now. And it makes me smile. <laughs> and other people hang up. Um, but it makes me smile because I can be so much like that. I want things better and I want to feel better now. I want to be more honest now. I want to be less judgmental now. And more and more as I turn my thoughts to someone else, um, and as I and as I take my inventory, and as I acknowledge my assets, there's two sides to there's assets and liabilities. Irene, you have some of the most wonderful assets. I hear them on the on the line. You have something to say. You know, God's got you right where you need to be. I hope that helps a little bit. And I'll pass. Thank you, Irene B. Melinda H. Your turn. Mm-hmm. Hi, thank you. This is Melinda H. in Virginia, and um, so I'm a chronic relapser, no different story there, Um, and over the years, it has seemed that um, people have said, well, why don't you get three days of abstinence and then give me a call, and so I'm wondering about um, your suggestions for what do I do during those three days. Yeah, uh, no, that's that's a great question, Melinda. I remember I remember some of the things that were helpful to me um, is um, I use the handrails uh, of this program, the tools of this program. They weren't as sexy, uh, using that term loosely. They weren't as sexy as the Oreos and the Doritos and the pizza and the ice cream, right? They, I mean, how could they be calling someone else? I don't even want to talk to anybody. I just want to eat, journal, get into the big book. You know, do, doing some level of service to get out of my, my out of my own head in the midst of my suffering. I didn't want to do those things. But the handrails, the tools were helpful to me. But I remember hearing someone say, you know, you know, Melinda, there's a timing and a rhythm to this stuff. You know, my my willingness was always an inside job, the willingness to let go of the food, the willingness to let go of my fear of calling other people the willingness of letting go of my delusion that I could solve this problem myself, the, you know, the, the, the delusion of, of letting go of my perception of a God who was not going to solve this problem for me. I was certain of it. You know, I had to let go of a lot of old conceptions, old ideas. So the first two or three days um, in some of my journal, I talked about the cravings coming on like a freight train. Anyone live by a freight train? We all know we've seen a freight train. It's so powerful. You can hear it. It sounds like a tornado, right? And it just comes through, and nothing's going to stop it. You know how long it takes to stop a freight train that's got hundreds of cars? It's so powerful, and that's what it felt like to me when those cravings came on. And I never thought it would be possible to put the food down, and yet you're telling me I have to do that first, and and I don't want to talk to you. I want to 
commiserate with people that say, ease into it, Melinda. Just, just you know, be loving to yourself. And, and, and part of being loving to yourself is smear frosting on your face and, and eat the Oreos and we will love you and we'll walk to, we'll, we'll hold your hand and we'll walk with you to your grave. That's not compassion, Melinda. Use the tools. When you're ready to be willing to put it down, it's, you have to be willing to go through emotional and physical un- uncomfortability, suffering for a time. But, oh, Melinda, will it get better? Oh, the things that you will see and the people you will meet. There's someone that needs to hear from you that only you, God, will put you in that position to help them. And, but first you have to get recovered, be brought to that state of being recovered. And then, go, oh, can you be of maximum service, Melinda? Watch out. Buckle up. Hope that helps. Thank you, Melinda H. Barbara E., your turn. Uh, good morning. Can I be heard right now? Yes. Oh, wonderful. Larry, because I am impulsive, and I know this had to be annoying, I did send you a text while you were in the midst of talking. And it just said, you were so eloquent, no pretentious palaver. I feel like we're all sitting around a roaring fireplace, relaxed and sharing our truths. I believe the eyes tell it all. So I do hope you'll be in Newark so I can look you in the eyes and say thank you. And I apologize for sending that to you in the middle of your beautiful presentation, but I couldn't resist it. And I do have a question for you, Larry. I have been abstinent for two decades. I've lost 12 sizes. Great. But I still cannot resist the impulse. The impulse, I can't think of any other word for it, to get on the scale every single morning, the scale in my bathroom. Now, the good news is I go down and eat my breakfast anyway. I don't restrict. I'm not a bulimic. I'm not an anorexic. I'm just a critical level compulsive overeater. But in two decades, I've not been able to give up this particular issue. And I keep saying to myself, it's not my job, it's God's job to see where you are. But then the fear takes over and I say, well, what if he wants me to be to size 24 again? I gave away all those 12 sizes. I can't let it go. Do you have any words of wisdom for this compulsive overwear? Thank you for for your kind words, Barbara, and thank you for noticing God's handiwork. Um, And yeah, yeah, I do. Um, Well, you haven't murdered anybody yet, although it's only it's only uh, well ten ten a.m. your time. There's plenty of time. Um, You know, I know there will be people on the line that just uh, we we get boy we get so judgmental. I can't be judgmental towards you, Barbara. Can't be. I can't speak to fears. As, as it relates to what the big book says, it is an evil and corroding thread. I still have fears. I still have fears. Many of my fears have dissipated over time. It sounds like, you know, there's a fear associated that if you, you know, if you don't weigh yourself, something's, you know, somehow you're going to, you need that um, validation. I say that with love and tolerance. You're not the only one on the line. 
that does that, right? This isn't good people and bad people, right people and wrong people. I don't see the world that way. You have so much to, to give and you give so much uh, and you're, you're, I, I have a sneaking suspicion that you're living your life so much differently today on so many levels that God has you where God needs you and he's not done with you. And maybe God will help you to, to give you the willingness to deal with your fears that, you know, we, 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 set, we set those things down on paper. You know, when I have a fear that's gnawing at me, that's renting space in my head like that, it, why do I, why, why would I follow the instructions, with, you know, as many times as I have to with the fears? Because Barbara, if I have a fear that I'm tethered to, the problem is I cannot be of maximum service to God and to those about me when I am, when that fear is Velcroed to me, it's glued to me and I'm carrying it around. I have to be, it's, it's, it, I have to be able to let it go, the fear associated with it. With the scale, you're not a bad person because you weigh yourself, my goodness sakes, okay? And, and if you still do it, we're still going to love you, right? I am anyway. There's a few others that won't. They'll tell you all about it. I will. But I will tell you that if you want to get over the fear, you know, honestly work the, 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 the fourth step on the fear, you know, and, and see what God has in store for you. Now, that's what I do with my fears. So I hope that helps. I'm going to pass. Thank you, Barbara E. Sheila O., your turn. Hi, Larry. This is Sheila O. from Massachusetts. Thank you so much. Can you hear me? Yeah, Sheila. Thank you. Okay. Um, I just want to ask a question about accepting the unacceptable that seems like the unacceptable, and thank you for talking about the farmer today. Um, just a lot of difficult uh, things. I'm 77. I have feeling health. But um, just the uh, things that I had been, and I'm a recovered um, compulsive eater, I, I'm just, thank God for the vision for you. But I, I just think that I wished... I don't know, that getting to know about, like you speak of the love and mercy of your higher power, and I have that today, but for so long I suffered and obsessed about my children. I still worry about a daughter taking her life. Uh, the, The real hard things, like we all have them, and I just wished, <laughs> how do you present this to people that you are working with um, about the love and mercy of God that I have come to know today? But, um, you know, being human, I know I'll take some of my fears to my grave, but I just, I'm just so sad that I didn't have the faith that I have now many years ago and spent so much time in fearful obsession about my children and their circumstances. Thank you, Larry. Oh, th- thank you so much for, for that um, question, Sheila, you know, uh, about accepting the unacceptable and, um, Boy, you know, and and I and I think you know, page four seventeen, right? And we we've all 
many of us have read it. If you haven't read it, you know, it talks about, I'll read it, acceptance, and acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unaccept, unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. Might not be the next moment. But at this moment, nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. And, and I, I just, you know, I, I'll, I'll end there. And then now let me bring up my own experience. Uh, Six million Jews killed? Acceptance? Ooh, that's a toughie, right? Um, was working with a young man, you know, 15, 20 years. Oh, my goodness. 15, 20 years ago. Uh, and... Uh, he called me one day, he was going to take his life, texted me. And I had him, you know, in the emergency room and, and you know, and then he was, we, we had him uh, inpatient and they, they, they stabilized him and, and, um, and he got out. Um, and I met with him uh, and, and he was doing well and had a job. And then he killed himself and he's never coming back. And that's shocking. That's unacceptable to me, right? I didn't see it coming. There was no text this time. Okay, now, now the rubber's meeting the road. And the phone calls and the wailing of the mother in the hospital and grabbing onto me, you know, a, a, a psychologist, psychiatrist, you, you, some, some thoughts, you know, you don't touch another person. Oh, that's taught. You don't, you don't. And she grabbed a hold of me and just in wailing for an hour or more. And it just seemed the right thing to do. I bring it up because I still believe acceptance is the answer to my problems today. I don't know God's will. You know, my judgment would make it so. My opinion would make it so. That can't be. It's not. It's not. You know, there are people on this line that have been subjected to horrible, horrible personal things, the likes of which I'll never know. And and if there is a God, they wonder, how could that happen to me? And I don't want to minimize, but I don't want to sensationalize. I was abused as a young child, physically and emotionally, and um, you know, and that wasn't supposed to happen. And how can that happen? How do, how do I accept the unacceptable? I don't know. Working these steps, I'm able to today. I'm not owned by those things today. I don't know the day that that happened. I don't know, Sheila, the day that I was able to come. I have my abstinence date, November 2nd, I, but I don't have the date that I, that I dropped the rock of that lack of acceptance on what happened to me. I don't know the day, but it happened. I swear to you, it happened. As God is my witness, God did for me what I couldn't do for myself, and it happened. So the hope is, is that whatever you're talking about with children, with, with just, you know, just incredibly tragic, horrible things, that God will bring you peace and acceptance, but it won't happen by osmosis. I think for me, it, it happened and it continues to happen by working these steps. And I don't know the mystery in it, but it just works. So I hope that helps a little bit, Sheila. Thank you, Sheila O. And our final question for the morning comes from Sharon C. Start one. Hi, this is Sharon C. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, 
I just wanted to say, well, actually, I had the same question Sheila had pretty much. So I'll go into another question I had um, that, uh, well, I'm 73 years old and with uh, bad health myself. Um, and I've been in and out of the room since 1972. And um, I'm abstinent. I've been abstinent for a while. And um, But whenever I try to... Uh, to sit in quiet, be still with my higher power, who's God. Um, after about two minutes, so much comes into, uh, like, disturb the the stillness. My mind just thinks of this and that and the other, and it's so difficult to get back. It's almost like um, the energy just won't stop. Uh, not that I have energy. I'm <laughs> chronic fatigue, actually, syndrome. Uh, and I was just wondering if there was a way or if that happens to anybody else, um, you know, to to be able to just uh, stay in stillness with God for longer than two minutes. So to yeah. Say. Yeah, Sharon, no, that's a great question. I'll share my experience with that. You know, when we got to step 11, you know, it, 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 it talked about, um, you know, this idea of maintaining conscious contact with God, and it talks about prayer. Better people than me have used it, you know, and I and I try to use it. I don't always feel connected. It also talks about meditation. I used to view meditation as I can't do it. There's too much. There's too much thinking. I can't stop this this monkey chatter in my brain. I can't stop thinking. I can't fix things, Sheila. I can't. A hammer in my hand. It's a dangerous thing. But oh, I like to think about things and read things and and discuss things. And and so my mind is always going. So I thought, well. I'm just more opportunity for acceptance, you know, more, more opportunity for acceptance that happens. And, and so I would just do the two minutes and try, try to detach from the outcome, try not to judge, you know, was it a good quote unquote session, two minute session of meditation of quieting or was it bad? I don't judge. Was it, was that a good three minutes of brushing my teeth or a bad one? Don't even judge it. I bet you some days it's bad, but you know, I don't even judge it. And then here's what happened to me, Sharon. And again, I can't tell you the day that this happened. And it, I still have day. I, I'm able to meditate today. I just count my breaths. I'm not suggesting that technique for you. But I just found and I, and I kept practicing. I just kept practicing it, trying not to judge it. Reminding myself, I had to put a little card up. Don't judge. Good session, bad session. I drew little funny little pictures. Big frown. I could just draw stick figures or big smiley face. Was it good or bad? That's my judgment. I don't care if it's good or bad. It's not good, you know, by me getting done with my three minutes or my 30 minutes, and I feel utter peace and bliss. That doesn't, that rarely happens. Sometimes it does. I just keep doing it. I just keep washing, you know, wash, rinse, and repeat. We hear all these things. And more and more over time, it gets better. It gets better. And guess what? My life has, hold your ears, hold your ears, Sharon. The shitstorm visits me. It does. It does. All human beings. It's either in your life right now or it's on its way. Oh, you're such an optimist, Larry. But so too is the ability to transcend that. And I have found that whether the storm is in my life right now or it's on its way, um, I just keep brushing my teeth. And I've gotten better at it over time. God has helped me to do what I, I, I just didn't think it was possible. So I hope that helps you a little bit. And um, thanks for the question. Yes, thank you, Sharon C., for the question. Everybody, thank you.
Oh, I'm sorry. I just got unmuted again. It's Sharon C. I just want to thank you, Larry, for that. I was judging it. That's And so thank you for bringing that to my attention. Appreciate it. Thank you, Sharon. Thanks to all who post questions. And, of course, thank you, Larry, for your consistent, generous spirit on the line. Much appreciated, always. We're going to close. Well, let me remind everybody, share ID for today, 13,579. That's 13579. We're going to close from page 164. You'll notice it's in a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.